to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Forbes Factor, one of my favorite hours of the week. We focus on health, wealth, and happiness, and I've got a surprise guest that I'm excited to interview today and have you meet. Uh, Before I get into that, something fun is happening. You know, we always say, where in the world is Forbes Riley? Uh, Recently, I came back from a month in Portugal. Uh, I was in Hawaii. I think many of you know that was a very crazy, fortuitous, last minute, shifted my plans from Maui to Kauai within a day. Uh, Crazy how sometimes if you listen to that voice in your ear, it will guide you where you want to go. I've always lived that way. You know, when I started my coaching company, Tanner, I don't know if he remembers, but he was one of the very first people a long time ago that I'd interviewed to ask how to do the whole online click funnel thing. And if you've been following my journey, uh, as some of you have for almost 10 years now, you'll notice a profound shift in my company, in my appearance online And we all grow up and grow older, or hopefully we get a little bit wiser. I keep asking the same stupid questions, but I'm getting some great answers. And my word for 2023 was implementation. I had no idea how powerful that one micro thought would be and has carried me entirely through this year to to the stage of ClickFunnels. We're going to get our our Two Comma Club Award for the first time. We could have gotten it three years ago, but now we officially have it. It's it's, it's, one of those exciting things. You set out a goal. Those of you who don't know what that is, uh, in the world of digital marketing, there is a platform which, to me, was one of the greatest platforms ever. Now, why do I say that? Well, because prior to this platform happening, you had to hire what was known as webmasters. Webmasters were these crazy guys in the dark somewhere who would take your money, tell you're going to build a website, build your entire world, and then not be responsible when you go, hey, where's my guy? I did that one time too many, and I didn't understand. Now, can you imagine how silly this is? I didn't understand how to get my ideas into that computer thing. I don't know. I'm older than you guys. I didn't grow up with a computer. And all of a sudden, this platform came out where if you knew how to drag and drop and you had some good ideas, you could literally make a page, hit click, and it was up without anybody's help. It changed my life. All of a sudden, I made all of these really pretty landing pages. Oh, my God. They were so cute. They had animations. They had pictures. And they made absolutely no money. I was like, well, wait a second. I'm confused. I finally got it up there. What do I do with it? Well, I then discovered, with the help of my beautiful daughter, who really delved into the idea of digital marketing, how to not only have pages that make sense, that are beautiful, but that are functional, that get your idea, that your message that's in your heart and your head out to the rest of the world so they can buy what you have. And then we revamped that and three years ago really launched our coaching company. And Tanner may or may not know this, but he's always been one of those guys. I knew that he was wildly successful even before he did. I just could tell. And it's such a great honor and a great privilege to bring him back after all this time to circle back and to say hi and let you hear from one of the OGs, I think, in this whole space who set the tone for how you can be successful and just say, I know, look, he's smiling. So Mr. Tanner, come up here and say hi. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate the time to be here. I'm excited. Well, you know what? You've been doing this for a while. What did you do before you got into the whole digital space? Oh man, I was <laughs> I was I was broke, is what I was doing. Uh, I did door-to-door sales. 
I was uh, doing, I was a server and then I was trying to, I was honestly just trying to figure out, I want to play in the NFL. And then when that didn't work out, I started trying to build a business and I struggled for about three years. And then during that time I was doing door-to-door sales and I was a server and I had a terrible car. And then around like 25 is when I started to figure it out. That's kind of the age where it like clicked for me. Which is great because when I was 25, I I was still running around Europe with a backpack, having a great time, not realizing I needed to do anything. Thank God there was no social media because I didn't know anyone else was doing anything either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's. I mean, with social media now, it's like, it's very easy to get FOMO. That's hundred percent true. My daughter and my son are both 20 and my daughter runs a company for the last three years. That's multi-million. My son is going to college and he's like, mom, when do I make my first, in fact, he shaved his head recently over the summer. He's like, until I make 10,000 a month, I'm not going to grow my hair back. I'm like, dude, why is you're 20? Go enjoy yourself. But that FOMO is real, isn't it? For a lot of people. Oh, yeah, 100 um, percent. I mean, I I think I even still get it because you see everyone's highlights. Um, and, you know, sometimes I wish you could see more people's like low points, but everyone uses the best ones. And then that's, you know, it's what creates the FOMO. We all do it. We're all guilty yeah. of it. That's a very funny, um, a, a very funny and uh, antithesis or antidote to Instagram. They have highlights. I would love to see a low lights moment where you're putting down some of the crappiest things that you're going through so that people go, OK, I'm not the only one, you know? Yeah, I actually. Well, I, it's funny you said that. I think I did a little bit. I was doing that this year. I think I did. A, I went too far that direction sometimes. What, but did you, I, what was it? What did you do? Oh, I was just talking about some rough stuff I was going through this year, like personally and like business wise. And I think some people appreciate it. But I think the downside, too, is, you know, you got to be careful, like how much you share, because, for example, if you're like a business consultant or in your case, motivational speaker, et cetera, you know, sharing too much can sometimes make people think like you don't have your shit together. Um, right. So it's a, it's a it's a fine line. But, yeah, I, I try to share as much as I can that, you know, less people know mm-hmm. I'm not. Do you know you, something you said just struck a chord? Do you know Lewis House? Yeah, of course. So, well, th- of course. So I met Lewis on day one. Literally, Lewis found me at a, he was the webinar guy way back when and invited what? me to this thing called a mastermind. And I had no idea what a mastermind was. He literally, we're in, we're in Texas and he said, I'm doing a mastermind, come. And I'm like, back then, this was a long time ago. I was like, well, how much is it? He's like, no, just come. It's in New York City. It's in the Soho house. I think you're going to appreciate who's there. I show up. I don't know any of these people. Ryan Dice, Perry Belcher. I go down the list of everybody who's anybody now was in that room. I won't mention all, I mean, Maria Forleo, I could go down. None of us were anybody. I was there because I was representing infomercials and nobody knew Lewis but us, which is kind of funny. And I've certainly followed his career. Well, this is a funny thing because a couple of years ago, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. He did a solo podcast at Christmas time and it was a low, low. I'd watched his trajectory. I'd support him in his book launches. And this was a look, I've broken up with my girlfriend. I've gotten screwed up. And it was like, oh my God, thank you for sharing all of this. Within months of that, he met the love of his life, Martha, who I'm very good friends with. He launched another, but he just changed everything. And I thought, I loved seeing that moment. I don't know if a lot of people had gotten that. I don't even know if he lets it out be even be seen, but it was so helpful for me. You know, it was real. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think that's wild. You met him back in the day. Cause I, I mean, I was meeting most of these people when they were already at their peaks. You know, that's what you get for being around for a little bit longer. I know. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I also tell people, I, I love, I mean, like I'm friends with Russell Brunson. Like I love the fact that I am, I've got a foot in a whole bunch of doors for motivate. I mean, it used to be just infomercials. And then I was lucky enough to be in a lot of these places. So I know a lot of players for me though, I didn't take a lot of action on a lot of the digital things until recently. 
and we are now kicking butt. Um, and, and it's because I have a 20 year old on my team who has been studying marketing since she was 12. She opened her first company doing drop shipping. And I wow. think back then I might have called you because you were you were in that world, weren't you? What's the first thing that you did online? First thing I did was actually online fitness coaching. Cause I was a little, I was a little gym rat. I'd been a division one athlete. So I, that's the world I knew. And I went straight into that. That's what I did first. And how well did you do in that world? Uh, the first three years I did horrible. Uh, so the first three years I made about 2000 and then the fourth year, not yeah. So 25, cause I started at 22, 25, I did a million. And then the next year I did 10 then 15 and then kind of went up from there. But yeah, it took me three years to kind of crack the nuts, so to speak. And I was, I was working all day, every day. It was pretty bad. I, I know that feeling. Now, how do you, okay. So I got a lot of this, this show attracts a fair amount of baby entrepreneurs or people who've come from another industry and are delving into this. So I give them as many nuggets as I can. So when you said that you went, first of all, anything at 25 is kind of like hats off to you. I didn't even discover business. Till I was 35 because I was busy running around having a life. Yeah. And, and by the way, I wholly and highly recommend having a life. Isn't that a funny thing? Absolutely. I agree. You can sit in a room for 18 hours a day right? You can get consumed with all the things that you have to do to make a business work. 100%. So you, how do you go from one to 10 to 15? What, what, what changed in those years? Uh, so the first, I mean, the first year I figured it out, that's kind of what it was. So like, you know, I finally got something that worked and then I put on the gas a little bit, but I was pretty much a one man show towards the end of the year. And then once I started bringing on a team, right, you're able to go much faster because you're able to delegate. And I think the biggest part was at that time, everyone was still running predominantly webinars. And it's not that, you know, webinars don't work, but the main strategy I used is this was right when Messenger came out in ads where you could click an ad and open up in Messenger. Uh, this was many chat years ago. It's called many chat. You don't really see it around anymore, but like five years ago, it was super hot. Yeah. And I hit that and we just were crushing like 10x returns on our ads. And I just ran it up as fast as I could. And then just kind of progressed from there. So um, I think it was a little bit of timing. And then it was just also perseverance because if I had quit at any point, I mean, I'd be telling a very different story. I have that, of course, that whole three feet from gold concept. I have someone I'm, I'm working with right now. I happen to be married to him uh, who's starting a fitness brand, uh, not a marketer at all, but one of, you know, Mr. Olympia, one of the fittest guys you've ever met and the 3D graphic artist. He's brilliant at all this. I'm sure there's listeners out there as well. What would you recommend to them in today's climate if they're working on excited to launch a new brand in the fitness space? Man, that's such a great question. I, so most people, when they think of launching a brand, they think of, you know, apparel, supplements, maybe an app. The hard part with that is it usually takes a lot of cash or it's going to take BC capital, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, it's not really the game I played. I bootstrapped. So I'm always a fan of them doing a high ticket offer. Uh, which is typically, you know, 1500 to about, let's say, you know, for fitness, I've seen as high as six, you know, I've seen as high as 10,000, but 1500 to three grand is like kind of that median range. And the reason I like that is you get someone on the phone, you close them, you get a lot of cash up front, and then you can use that to grow your business. That's, that's how I got to where I'm at. I mean, I'm hundred percent bootstrapped. And wait, then wait, 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 wait. what are you selling? And he, he would, he would ask you this as well. Sure. 15, what, what are you selling or giving a value for that much capital? Yeah. Happen. So I, I mean, all I was doing was online training. So they typically would get, you know, custom nutrition training, and then they get one-to-one -one access to me. And then the big part though, is that a lot of trainers are good, but they just don't know how to do sales. So all the trainers say the same stuff, right? They're like, Oh, custom nutrition, custom training, et cetera. What I would do is on the call is I'd make sure they understood. I was like, okay, here's what the bad trainers do. 
with nutrition. Here's what I do. It's way better. Here's what the bad trainers do in workouts. Here's what I do. And I, I just created such a large gap that it made it a lot easier for people to go, oh, and I was like, and that's why you've been stuck, right? And they're like, oh, okay. So I think a lot of it was also, I'm really good at marketing and sales because I did door to door right before, but I was just selling online training. And the benefit is you don't have to see them. So it infinitely scales your time versus you have to go in the gym, you know, spend, you know, 10, 12 hours a day at uh, training sessions. So I have a limiting belief about what you're talking about because I've been in the fitness industry forever. I'm in the National Fitness Hall of Fame and I even have my handheld product here, which I sell for a low ticket. Uh, I've never thought of closing people into a higher ticket. I, I, I don't can't even quite conceive of that. Isn't that interesting? Huh? I mean, I was the same way. So I was selling originally a $47 offer. It was called the Rapid Muscle System. The problem though is I'm a broke kid. So if I make a hundred bucks, it does nothing. And then I got in a program and they said, hey, look, your issue is your price. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, raise it. I'm like, to what? I thought they'd say like 150. They're like 1500. I was like, 1500? Right. And I had the same reaction as you. It's like, there's no way people buy it. They're like, dude, trust me, just do it, do it and it'll work. And my first call, I got one. The next call, I went to 2000. The next call, I went to 2500. And I was like, oh my gosh, people will pay for this. But the the reason really is you're just able to, if you're good at sales, obviously there takes a little bit of ability. So I don't want to downplay that, but you're able to just handle any objection they have versus if you're selling a low ticket product, your sales page has to do it. So if you miss anything at all, they won't buy. So I think that was the biggest thing is it just allowed me to do that. And then a lot of people, you know, they're willing to pay more money for a premium result. So as long as they believe it's actually much better, they'll pay more. I'm fascinated by how confident you are with regard to sales. I really am. I'm a little blown away right now. I teach every day the art of pitching. I have a, a concept and I can hear pitching like music, but pitching is not sales. And this is a very interesting distinction is that I get people to say yes all the time. In fact, I have a thing around here. Uh, if I asked you the question, you want to see something cool, what would you say to me? Sure. Yeah. So I have a little thing. So of course, I knew you're going to say yes. So, little- <laughs> so for those of you listening on radio, I just held up a post-it that said yes on it. So I've learned if you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. But it's not, in fact, a sale. It is more, and again, I'm the queen of lower ticket items. That's what I did on infomercials. It was never a high ticket. But now as I'm listening to you, and I do have higher ticket items, one, I'm curious, what is the technique that you use to get them on the phone? And this is a nitty gritty question. Do you know what that is? Yeah. So, I mean, I called it, I mean, I called it conversion conversations, but really it's just a DM and what you're doing in the DM typically, because people can say so many different things. That's why a lot of people need help because the conversation can move, but typically it's, you know, you reach out, you make some nice compliment. Hey, your car's super sick. Hope that's not weird to say. They're like, awesome. And then you'll make a transition into the pitch. So one that I really like to do, and this depends if it's a cold DM or an ad. So let's just pretend it's a cold DM. A lot of times I would say something like, uh, you know, does work, what do you do for work? I do this. I'm like, does it keep you busy? And they're like, yeah, of course. And I was like, and then this was my transition. I'd say, oh, got it. Does that make it hard to work out? And then I'd move it into the pitch and they wouldn't even know. And then from there, I'd start asking, what's your goal? What are you struggling with? What have you tried? And then at the end, I'd say, hey, look, well, you know, I don't know if you care or not, but I do this fitness stuff all day long. I'd be down to give you a little bit of advice if you're open to it. And they'd always say yes, typically. And I was like, cool. It's a lot easier to do over the phone. What's your number? Here's mine. And then from there, I would usually do a set. So I that wasn't a sales call, but I build rapport and like, oh, this guy's cool. Da, da, da. I was like, yeah. So let me send you an email 
where I need more specifics on stuff you like, like food, weight, height, and then send that back. And then we'll get on another call. And then basically it was an application for a sales call. And if they answered it well, I'd get on a call. If they didn't, then basically I would reach out and say, Hey, you had this answer to the question. And that's how I did cold DMs. So I was doing 50,000 a month, uh, just doing that. But I was, I mean, I was working, you know, 18 hours a day just for context because people always ask, but I was so scared of being broke and stuck that I just did whatever I had to do. How do you get people off the phone? Off the phone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hang up. <laughs> oh, no, I yeah, sounds good. I'm a, as a woman, I think we chit chat more than men do. I'm on the phone with people and you want to politely go, okay, I got, I got the point. I made the sale. How do you, how yeah. do you help me out here? I just keep it concise. So if they're talking to her, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, so, so sorry to interrupt. I really appreciate everything given me, but I just want to make sure we have enough time to get through everything. So I need one more question and then I'll just go right into the question. I mean, I just think let people talk, but if they're going off in outer space, I just try to pull them. I'll just, I'll just interrupt and I'll pull them back in and just say, Hey, just want to make sure we get this all done. I got a couple more questions and then you can do whatever you need to. Cause some people will rant. Um, and so I, I just make sure to keep it concise. I hope that my audience is appreciating what's going on right now is you can clearly say here, I don't do calls. I've made, I've grossed two and a half billion dollars, not talking to people, which has been great. I talked to a TV camera. So good with the TV camera. Love the camera. I unfortunately, or fortunately, like most people, they get scared of this. This is my best friend. It doesn't talk back to you. It doesn't have to hang up. I hear the stage vendor go three, two, one, everybody we're out. We'll see you next time. Boom. And that's all I've ever done. This whole phone thing. Obviously, I can hire a sales team to do it, but I really want to teach people the ins and outs because, dude, I'm looking at you as a young kid making 50000 a month doing this. I'm like, wow, I want my people to know a little bit more. If they're willing to make the calls, it works. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a numbers game, too. That's the thing. So door-to-door sales, what was nice, I mean, I would knock 100 doors a day and I'd try to make one sale. So, I mean, it's a very low conversion rate. When you're doing online, it, it's not. it's still hard. But instead of knocking doors, it's like send 100 messages. I was like, oh, that's way easier because I could do it much faster. And you know, there's no facial interaction. Door-to-door sales is brutal because it takes you probably, I'd say, 60 days just to get normalized. Uh, because when you knock on the door and you see someone walking up, you automatically, it just you get very nervous, you get anxious. Everything you thought you were going to say goes out your head. Um, so for me, yeah, when I started doing online, I loved it because I was like, man, this is a joke. I could sit on the couch and I don't have to be in a hundred degree heat. Why did you do that? Is your dad or someone, you know, in that world? No, um, I just wasn't making progress in my fitness company. And so someone, you know, probably lied to me and sold me on the idea that door to door sales would make me rich. And I believed them, (laughs) but it's, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because now, because of it, I'm much better at sales than most people because there's just nothing that compares. Like when you see their facial expressions, you you got 0.1 second to respond on a phone call. If you get stuck, you might have a script pulled up. You can pause for a couple seconds. There's just a lot less room for error and they don't want what you have to sell. So if you can sell door to door, you can sell anything because they hate you. Like literally they genuinely hate you. Yeah. I know. And I think, you know what they often say when you're going to do more high tickets, that it's hard to sell something you're not willing to buy. And I agree with that. If you're not willing to buy a $250,000 program, you might not want to sell one. But I don't like people who cold call me or people who knock on the doors. Maybe that's where it all starts. I'm not always very nice to them. Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's, you're not expecting it. And then on top of that, there's 100 million objections. And then you also usually don't want what they have to sell. So typically for me, you know, door to door, it's security and pest control. I did security. 
So it was even harder because I had to get inside the house. So I'd always come up with unique ways to like slide in. Um, and I, I would, I'd say stuff like, Hey, uh, we're just going around the neighborhood, putting these free signs in. Would you like one? They're like, yeah. I was like, cool. I just need a little bit of information. Where do you want me to sit down? And I'd start walking in. Oh, um, I love this. You just, you just had to, you had to get unique cause you can't sell them until you're in the house. But it, I mean, it just taught me, I think more than anything was mental resilience because you could go days without making a sale and then you get three and then you go days without making a sale. You get one you get a charge back, then they take your, you know, they refund the money they paid you. It was like, it was brutal. I mean, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I am so excited to have this conversation. I was an actress for the young part of my life and I would get rejected every day, all day. And I'm, and it had, it played massive issues with my self-esteem because, yeah. you know, they'll look at you going, you're too young, too tall, too old, too fat, too skinny, too ugly, too pretty. Didn't matter what it was. It started to get really personal because it was personal. You're, you're your product. And now that I'm listening to what you're doing, I'm like, man, I probably should have done that because the rejection, I don't know how you did it. What do you think's in your DNA, maybe from your parents or your upbringing that allowed you to go three days knocking on doors and getting no sales and still showing up for the fourth day? Um, I mean, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about quitting. I think, um, I don't know who said this, but they always talk about the most successful people. They, they believe that they can do it, but they also have like crippling like fear that they're not good enough. And I think that's always my fear is that I'm not good enough. And so I've always wanted to do whatever it took. And so every time I thought about quitting, I just kind of sit in that moment. I'm like, man, if I quit and I go back home and I don't do this, like, what am I going to do after? And I just think I refuse to fail. And I think that's a really good quality for a lot of the successful entrepreneurs. I know, I think sometimes, you know, we can go too far the other direction. Right. But I think it was that it was just the belief that I knew I could do it. And then just crippling fear that I would fail and that I'd have to tell my family they were right. My, you know, my ex-girlfriend broke up with me because I dropped out of college and there was like a lot of kind of pain and fear around that, I think. So, yeah. I bet she's kicking herself now. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it is, at the time, it really upset me for sure. And it was a, is a big driver of motivation. Yeah. I love listening. How old are you now, by the way, if I can ask? 31. Yeah, you're good. So it's been about six years. I've been on my journey. Yeah. That's good because I look at my son who's got a different, my, they're twins and he's 20 and took a gap year and has a sense of resilience, but also really wants to succeed and be like his sister who's in business already, but she's not going to college. So she has her own issues there. But I love the sense of resilience that you're talking about. And I think he will hear that. I'm going to send this to him very different from your mouth than from mine. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. yeah. What advice would you give him if he was sitting right here as a young 20 year old who feels a little fear of missing out, very smart, can build pages, wants to do business, has not really succeeded. You know, the kind of thing where when NFTs happened, he made one trade and made 85,000. It's like, oh, that's good, but couldn't duplicate it. And so feeling less than what would you say to him? Yeah, so probably two things. So, I mean, the first thing is just have at least one person that you can talk to when you're feeling down. I find that's tremendously helpful that will just listen and kind of keep motivating you because everyone else is going to think you're an idiot and that's normal. So I think having like a mentor, a close friend, a parent, whatever. And then the second thing is don't, you know, the faster you fail, the better. So I used to look at failure when I started as, oh my gosh, if I hadn't messed up, that took me three months to figure out, I would have gotten to my goal three months sooner. It doesn't work that way. It's actually the faster you fail, the sooner you'll get there because you can't avoid the failure. So what I wished I had done is at 22, I was afraid of hiring someone and I just didn't really know that world existed. 
And then at 25, I got so sick of failing. I said, oh my gosh, like there's got to be someone who can help me figure this out. And then I paid for my first high ticket program. And so if I could go back in time to my 25 year old self, I would have said, you should have paid someone at 22. And I'm just a big proponent. Most people won't get there on their own. So have one person who encourages you. And then the rest of your time, take all the money, take all your time that you can and just invest in yourself because your skill stacking. And what happens is at first you suck at everything. Then you learn one skill, you learn another skill, you learn another. And then over time, that's how you can make tons and tons of money because you have more skills than the average person. But you have to go through that initial process, right? You have to be willing to be a setter or be a closer or, you know, start a company from scratch. And then you learn the skills and that's what makes you valuable to the marketplace. That is priceless, brilliant, so well said. Thank you. When you started hiring people, what was your process for that? And what do you do now to hire people? I mean, when I first hired people, I would just kind of make a judgment call. And I'm like, okay, like it was first my brother. So I just trusted him and I just threw him in whatever. Uh, later down the road, as I started to see like mistakes I make, I have seven or nine questions I like to ask where I try to get a judge of their character. And the reason is 10, I'll take a 10 culture over 10 skill or, or one skill, excuse me. If you can get both, that's preferables where you get eight players is the 10 skill, 10 culture. But a lot of times what happens is if they, they don't embody the values you have. So like they don't work hard, you know, they don't, they don't want to, you know, be proactive. They're not aware. They don't show up on time. I used to think that's just part of business. Cause you'll see stuff where it's like, yeah, not everyone's going to be as crazy as you. And I agree, but I think there also needs to be a standard in your company. And what happens is if you let the standard drop, then, and one person starts doing something they're not supposed to, it's like cancer to your whole company. And I used to not understand that. And so now I'm super, super strict about the culture. And if they don't fit the culture, they got to go because no matter how skilled they are, because it just seeps into the company and it just bleeds. It's just really bad. Love that. Well, um, we have two minutes to break. So let me just go off on an off the wall question. Where are you living now? What part of the world? Miami. Ah, why? Uh, I was in Houston prior. But I, I actually, my lease, like I had a lease I signed and then the realtor gave it to someone else. And I was like, what the F? So I said, let me just go to Miami. And I came here and I just love the vibe. Like I love the city. I like the energy. There's lots of business owners, good food, water. Um, I've traveled other places, but like I haven't, I mean, it's been my favorite so far. So I just stay here. Yeah, that's really it. I have a lot of friends. I'm on the other side of the state. We're here in Tampa. I'm a New York girl from LA. Uh, Miami's so busy. I, you know, I see there's also an age difference. I raise my babies. It's a, little quieter, it's a little quieter in St. Pete. And if you sure. come over here, I've got a great television studio to show you. Love it. Yeah, no, Tampa, Tampa would be like my second choice. Honestly, I've heard great things about it. I've been there a few times. Yeah. Well, I think it's the vibe is slower. The water is everywhere. And it's attracted a whole lot of digital marketers. Have you seen Rudy since you've been over there? Yeah, yeah. He actually just moved down here. I haven't seen him yet. He texted me, but he did tell me he moved down here. So I'm excited to see him. It's been fun. He and I have been friends for a very, very long time. And he just rebranded and reemerged and found some giant spark. When we come back, we're going to share and figure out what Tanner is up to and how he can intersect and help you. So far, the nuggets that you've dropped, even though I don't think you realize how valuable they are, have just got my head spinning. And I'm loving this conversation. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're still live on Facebook. And so you guys can pop in and ask questions. You're listening to the Forbes Factor. We do focus on health, wealth, and happiness. My goal is to get all three in this one hour. And I think we're doing a good job. So take a break. Don't, come back. don't go away. We'll be right back after this message. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now, back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Tanner and I are just off back chat. We're talking about COVID. I love it. You apparently were in your own bubble. You just finished yeah. the story because it was hysterical. You walked into a store. Everyone had masks on. And you didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So, like, I because I don't really watch TV or, like, check news at all. So, I walk in and everyone's got masks on. I'm kind of like, yo, like, what's, is everything okay? And then they're like, you got to go. I'm like, why? They're like, you don't have a mask. I was like, so? Like, why are they wearing, you know, it's kind of that and then i went home and i started you know reading and seeing what was going on i'm like you got to be freaking kidding me it just it blew my mind because i just never thought that would happen i still can honestly well it is it was an interesting experiment it was like your, your least favorite science fiction movie come to life yeah but i will tell you and how everybody dealt with it is very indicative of where they are now two years later you know they talk about you are where you made from decisions five years ago and i'm watching for me personally best thing that happened to my family because now, knock on wood, I'm sorry, I lost a best friend. My publisher died. So I can't say it's the best thing ever. That's not really fair. But the circumstances around this were my twins had to do their senior year in my house. And mm. I think these little 17 year olds, they're both very smart, would have floated away after school and I wouldn't have seen them. We kind of all decided that. But because they were here, at one point, my daughter finished with her schoolwork and looked at me and said, Mom, I'm going to take my digital marketing skills and open a company with you. And we launched a multi million dollar empire because we were stuck in the house all day, every day. It was great. It's crazy. I mean, that, that's one thing is people got actually my businesses did really good during COVID, I think, as well, because everyone was home. So they're all just scrolling all day long. It was great. I know. So tell us, all right, we've been talking about how you got to where you are. What are you up to now? What are you focused on? Yeah, so um, I actually stepped out of my company the first of this year where um, I had a full management team in place. I was traveling the world. I got back maybe two weeks ago. 
Um, and then I've been kind of just planning my next move. So I've got a couple ideas, nothing concrete. I'm kind of playing them close to the chest, but um, interviewed interviewed like a ton of like super ultra wealthy individuals, looked for patterns. And, uh, I, you know, I love what I do. I still have my company, but I, I have ambitions and goals to try to, you know, build a nine or 10 figure company. And so I don't think the vehicle I'm in right now is going to be the one for that, but um, that's kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah. Because your current company, for those people who don't know what you do, share with us. what. It is. Yeah. So it's, it's called Elite CEOs. Um, it started off as Fit Warrior. So I was in the fitness industry, did a million bucks plus a bunch of trainers started asking for help. I was like, nah, I don't do this business consulting stuff. They kept asking and then that turned into fitness CEOs and then that got really big and then it turned into what it is now. So it's basically business consulting A to Z, you know, marketing, ad sales, hiring, training, fulfillment, setters. We can run your ads. We do kind of everything. And I've had that, you know, coming up, I think it's six, six years, like in a couple of weeks, honestly, it's crazy. And um, yeah, I mean, it's done about 70 plus million. I think the majority of it was in the four year window because, you know, first year I did a mill, but it's been, it's been a blessing. It's been fun. Definitely highs and lows. Um, had some stuff like personally and business wise happen this year that I wasn't expecting. So I guess that's kind of the nature of business, but I mean, overall, it's been a great blessing. We've had like 40,000 something clients or something. So. And my, my crew over here is asking, Miss Jade is asking, what is the name of the company again? Oh yeah. Elite CEOs. So it's just eliteceos.com. That's the, that's the name. Yeah. And if you tell him that Forbes sent you or you heard about it, he'll uh, give me a free vacation in Miami, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but I will tell you that a lot of the people I'm, that are in my world now are looking for someone who is skilled in exactly what you're doing, which is why we set out to have you on the show today, because we all get to a certain point where we hit our own little ceiling and you've got to break through it. And I don't think you can do it alone. So when an entrepreneur would come to you, what would be the right time in their business cycle? I mean, I, I guess that's a great question. So we, we work with obviously a ton of beginners because I'd say 80% of the market is beginners, but if you're, let's say the, the ones who are the easiest to get results for, they might be doing, you know, 10, 20 K a month because they already have some of the concepts. They're just missing some levers. Beginners can still also do well. It's just, if they come in with no skills, it's harder because they're on a lower level on the totem pole. And so I always try to explain that to people. The, the, the hardest part about consulting is that if John's a 10, George is a five, Jill's a one, John and George will get better results than Jill. And then Jill gets mad, but it's like, Jill, you got to understand, like you came in with nothing, right? And they came in with something. So that's probably the most frustrating thing for me is like my first couple of clients made 10 grand in 30 days. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be a billionaire. But over time, you realize that the hardest thing is screening on the front end, but everyone can be helped. It's just a lot of people might say, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do this. Then they don't, or they come in and they're like, I'm really good at sales, but they're not. Um, so I, I just bring that up as a caveat because that's, I think that's probably the biggest frustration for me as someone who tries to help people is that it's not that they can't be helped, but sometimes their lack of skills get in the way and then lack of effort. And so they're not able to get as good as results as maybe someone else, but that's like a whole nother discussion, probably off tangent, but. um, So a couple of the skills that are wildly important that you see entrepreneurs missing when they come to you might be. Sales, like sales calls and messaging. Anyone who comes to us, like if, if they've done corporate sales or they've done like anything sales related, it's it's a joke because they know how to speak to people. A lot of people think they know how to speak, but they don't. So it's kind of like the guys who all think they get all the girls, but you know, they don't, you know, they're like, oh, I get tons of girls. Like, okay. <laughs> so it's, 
it's just, it's just, you can learn it, but it's your willingness to learn. So a lot of people say, well, Tanner, you're an overnight success, but they forget the two to three years I didn't make any money. And I did door to door sales for almost a year. So when I started figuring it out, I was just ready to launch because I was so good at sales at that point. So it's right. a little different. Well, and then I will interesting because I've got a 20 year old on my staff who started 17 and the reason she's brilliant back end, but her partner, me, was the sales queen. And that's yeah. how we close as many people. So my thought is that sometimes you don't necessarily need to be all of those things, but to align yourself. Are you more, and I, I, it'd be interesting how you answer this, are you more a visionary or an implementer? That's a great, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I think I could do both. I think if I went to, I don't think I'd have any problem going to any organization and being their COO. So I think I'm a really good imp- integrator or implementer. But to be honest, like I think with my company, I kind of had to do both. Um, but like if I had to pick or I went to another company more times than not, they probably hire me to be an integrator because there's a lot of CEOs who have great vision, but they don't know how to run a company, um, especially VC world. So I could easily find a VC company and go in and probably take over a COO and run it just because I had to do everything myself. So, um, and I like operations. Like I, I do like being a visionary as well, but I like building teams. I like doing backend stuff. I like seeing sales come through. So probably if I had to choose one integrator. I, and that's fascinating because I'm a hundred, I'm a hundred percent visionary. It's like, I have something wrong with me when it comes to integration yeah. just, at a certain point. Like, I don't want to do that. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's why without an integrator, I had great ideas and not as much income online. And then all of a sudden, when you put the two together, it's been a Works fascinating. Out. Also, yeah. it's kind of, it's really fun. There's at some point it becomes a game. How much can you create? It's not about the money. It's more about the numbers and the amount of people. And the, I don't, that's been fascinating for me. I, I'm a huge I guess I used to try and please my parents a lot. So I really want you to say thank you and how much you love me. And mm-hmm. so I do, I, we over deliver. That's one of our core values is to surprise people because in a world where most people under deliver, it makes us stand out. Yeah, for me, it was, I had a goal to hit a million bucks a month and it took me about 22 months when I started making some money. So right. it was like right before, right before I turned 27. And um, I remember in that moment, it was fun for about a day. And then I kind of sat there and said, man, I thought, you know, I thought it'd feel different. I thought it was going to feel a lot different, but it didn't. And um, that really kind of reinforced to me that, you ha- you know, I think it was the first time I was like, well, wait, if the money's not the reason I'm pushing, then why do I still push? And it took me a few months to really sit with that because when I was poor, it was easy. And then as soon as I had money, I was like, well, wait, like, I don't really need the money. And like, I just hit a million bucks a month. And then, you know, it didn't feel how I thought it would feel. So that was actually a really strange feeling. So what did you do with that feeling? Oh man, I did, uh, I did everything. I was going to therapy and I was like asking pastors and preachers, my parents. And I was kind of like trying to, I just felt like, what's the point of all this? Um, Because you're still, you're still a very small cog in the machine. I mean, if Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is one of the most, you know, well-known people on earth and I'll go places like Mark Zuckerberg. I'm like, dude, you gotta be kidding me. You don't know who that is. So that just shows you there's no hope for us (laughs) sometimes. And I think I had to kind of get over the fact of uh, the person who helped me the most, like I'm friends with Alex Ramosi and I really respect a lot of what he does. And he, he kind of is more nihilistic where he just says like, why does it have to matter? And you may not agree with that viewpoint on everything, but for me, that actually helped me more because I was trying so hard to kind of piece things together. And he's like, dude, like maybe you just like the work and maybe like there doesn't have to be a meaning. And that actually helped me a lot more than kind of going in circles. So to each their own, I'm like, definitely not saying that's the right way. But for me, that actually was the most helpful thought. 
I confuse people all the time. They're like, so what's your five-year plan? I'm like, to be alive? Uh, what, what do you mean? Five, <laughs> five years ago, I did no idea I would be here. I am crazy, stupidly in love with the most amazing person on the planet. My kids graduated high school. I People say, really, Forbes, what do you want? What do you want? I want to enjoy what I have. I want to go places and not have to work. We, Joshua and I woke up the other morning and it's fascinating because like you said, this FOMO and all the people's giving their opinions. If you're not up at 5 a.m. and you haven't meditated for three hours and read 18 pages and did a cold plunge, you're not successful. It was 11 o'clock. I rolled over and I said, Joshua, I said, everyone's getting up at 5 a.m. It's 11. He's like, that's the sign of really successful people. We don't have to get out of bed till 11. Yeah, there you go. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. We win. How cool is this? I'm not cold plunging today and I'm not stressing out about my meditation. Let's go have lunch. Yeah. And it's also, it's also just, there's not just one way to win. I mean, I think you can see similarities. So you could say like, I could probably agree 80% of successful people wake up earlier. Okay. But it's not necessary by any means. I mean, I've seen soup. I mean, there's guys I run into and it's like, you make how much? So I think it's more just finding what works for you and there's no one way. And I think, I think some people get stuck in that. If you want to be healthier and do cold plunge and all that, by all means, like I enjoy that stuff, but I don't preach it as like a necessity. It's like, I'm just kind of a health freak. Well, so. you know, it's funny because I found true happiness. It was right there on the rock. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just showed him a rock that has the word happiness on it. I found it. I've got it. True happiness. Perfect. You know, I love that you have come to this sense. Alex is a great guy. I don't know him personally. I would love to interview him. Put that nugget in his ear, if you would. I love his relationship, the fact that he's married and he's definitely showing the world a different side of success, yeah. <laughs> which I think was really needed when he popped up because a lot of the people that I coach and talk to, I have a lot of younger people in their 20s who just like feel like they're already on the hamster wheel. And I love, love, love what you said. I'm probably going to cut this clip out for someone to hear that you made the million dollars a month. That's the goal. My son's right now, 10,000 a month would make him happy. Right. I sold spin gyms on home shopping and I did a, I got a check for one day. They do a today's special for $1.2 million. And right. that was, and I got the check. I opened it. Now it wasn't just one day. It was the years it took to develop it and get it there and the expertise. And I looked at the check and there was no one else in my office. And I'm like, and what do I, uh, okay. I could do the happy dance. Do I want to go buy something? And I thought, no, I, I don't. And then if I really do the taxes and it's not really a million anyway. And I was like, okay, good job. Go do it again. Mm -hmm. And it was that kind of interesting moment. If I'd gotten too philosophical, I would have ended up in a therapy, but I didn't, but it was not what it, I, I think I thought it was going to be different too. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the one helpful thought for me is like, I get a little bit less attached to outcome. I mean, I still have hard days and I strive, but I would say like this year, I don't know, like I'm not super religious, but I feel like whatever's out there has been testing me this year. And I've really tried to focus more on the work because not, I'm not getting all the outcomes that I usually do or that I hope for. And so that's been a lot more helpful frame because when you finally get to a goal and you realize that's not going to get you there or it's not going to make you happy, I think it's easier to focus on. It's almost like a cheat code. Like the cheat code is if you can enjoy the work, you've already won because that's ultimately what matters. And if you're doing your best work. So it's it, the outcome really doesn't matter as long as you're doing your best work because you can walk away and go, I didn't hit the goal, but I did everything I could do. And a lot of people, they don't actually do their best work. Like, you know, um, for me, it was college football. Like I, I was training two, three times a day, every day since I was 12 to get to the NFL. 
I got to the D1 level and then I was like, man, am I good enough? And then I saw a guy, uh, he flew in from Ghana, played five games, uh, never played football before and went fifth pick in the draft, got like an eight figure contract. And I was like, oh, so that's the guys who go to the NFL. And like, I never had a chance anyways, but I did my very best. And it was like, it was a very sad, but also a very fulfilling moment. And that's kind of how I view a lot of life is that no matter what we do, like we're all kind of specks of dust and people forget about us. And so I think it's like finding meaning in the work and fulfillment that way versus like the actual goal itself. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I try to view it. You know, it is, it'll be fun to meet you in 20 years and have this conversation because it's funny. Every 10 years, your perspective will completely change and revamp. Yeah, probably. You're right. You're right. hundred percent. Every five years, I feel like it changes. Well, and it's possible because it's speeding up. And I do remember for me personally, um, I raised a little boy who was murdered. Uh, for 12 years with my ex-husband. And there was a five-year period where I literally was living in what hell looked like. I'd lost both my parents, 9-11. I'm a New Yorker. I lost nine of my friends. My boy got murdered and I had two beautiful new twins. And I couldn't figure out where hell stopped and life started again. And you know what's very funny about this? Sometimes I believe you need to do something, one, karmically, and two, something so outrageous that it just shifts the universe for you. And you know what mine was? This is crazy. The house I was living in in California, uh, we were going to knock it down because it was too small for a bigger family. And they told me it was a lot of money. And they and he said, it's 25000 to knock your house down and we'll build it bigger. I said, OK, 25. When did I get 25000 Where do you just get that magically? And I said to him, we're in L.A., can't we just blow up the house? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I don't not sure what I mean. I know Mel Gibson blew up a house for lethal weapon. Let's blow up the house. Put that out there in the ether on the Internet. Christmas time that December, I get a knock on the door from Live Free or Die Hard or the Bruce Willis series of movies. And they're like, we'll blow up your house and we'll give you 25 grand. And I will tell you, I have, I videotaped it because it was way before cell phones and my big video cameras. I said, I have to let my kids know when I've blown up their home. And my only thinking, as funny as this was, I said, my daughter's four years old. I said, I'm going to make this video so that when she's of dating age and I say, hey, I don't like that boy. Be careful. I blew up your room once. I will do it again. And when that went boom, I literally said, my, everything that's been happening before is done. I can't even see it. It's over. And I looked forward and I'm not even sure where we were going. But my entire life changed from that moment on. Mm-hmm. And know sometimes you have to blow up your past. Yeah, I love that story. It's, it's definitely a crazy. Well, you know, I'm fascinated by where you are now. Um, I think it's a, how many people are in your company? Ooh, 85 or so. Are you serious? That's massive. Yeah. That's a lot of people. All right. So I'm excited. I think that from what I'm hearing the chat and my Facebook over here, people want to meet you and know you and they're kind of charmed by you. What do you do when you're not working? <laughs> uh, so this last six months I was traveling, but I really enjoy, I mean, after work, like more than anything, I just like spending time with quality people, like good conversations, good dinner. I'm not like, I love sports, but that kind of part of my life is over. So it used to be sports. So right. it's usually just, good conversation with good people and then uh, reading or some activity. Like I'm not a big, sometimes I'll watch movies when I get, you know, super exhausted, but I like getting up and doing stuff. I don't like sitting around the house. I do it enough already with work. So probably one of those three things like dinner activity, learning, like so, I, I'm, I'm vicious wait, 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 where, where did you go? I just got back from Portugal uh, and Greece. Where did you go? where did you travel to? Oh man, I went, uh, shoot, Brazil, Costa Rica, Chile, Easter Island. Um, where else? Mexico, Greece. Um, 
Africa, Africa was like an amazing experience, like Kenya, South Africa. There's also uh, Rwanda, Sagarillas. Um, was going to stay a little longer, but I just felt it was time to come back. Um, but yeah, I saw probably 13, 14 countries. It was pretty much South America, Africa, and a little bit of Europe. And then I was going to go farther, but I just needed to come back. It'd been like six months straight. Well, congratulations. I love when I left my, my daughter loves to surf. I left her in both places. I left her in Greece last time. And she went off to with her brother to Croatia and Hungary and Italy. And then this time she's like, mom, I'm going to hang in Portugal. I love you. As long as I got my laptop, I can work. And I'm like, bye. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, in Europe's like easy to work in. I think Asia gets a little more tricky, but like Europe, Europe and Africa, it's actually nice because when your team's waking up, like you've already, you can already do a ton of stuff and then you just have like team meetings and then that's kind of it. At least it was for me. So it was kind of nice. All right. I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm about to, it's a work date. I'm going to have to introduce you to McKenna because she's going to want to, she's going to want to hear from you. I think you'll be very excited by her, her mentality and who she is as a person. Great. Mom, mom's setting her up on the internet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, all right. Well, um, we're almost out of time, which is crazy. I'm looking at the, at the clock here. Um, what would you whisper in Tanner's younger ears about 10 years ago when you were starting all this that you know now that you wish you'd known? Um, probably just don't be scared and don't be fearful. Um, I, I, as I've gotten older, I just realized that a lot of times when we're scared, nothing bad can really happen. I mean, we're already living in kind of a hell at that point because we want to change. And right. then two is that and people just don't really think about you very much. And I think when I hit my first million dollar month, I mean, I thought I was the shit. Like I was like, I just felt like I just hit a grand slam. And I remember a couple of people were like, dude, nice. Like congrats. And then that was it. And I'm like, dude, you know, like how much effort I put in to hit that, like just hours and hours of my life, like grinding. So I think, um, a lot of people are scared about what other people think or what's going to happen negatively. And a lot of times you're already in the worst situation you could be in. And then when other people really don't think about you anyways. And so I think that's been more empowering for me this year is to really just go after my goals and dreams, because even if I accomplish the craziest thing, most people aren't going to remember me in a hundred years anyways. And so I, I always try to put it in perspective. I, again, I'm loving this conversation. We were, I love to dance and my daughter and I both love to dance and we're kind of crazy. And she looked at me and said, mom, we can do whatever we want. We will never see these people again. Mm. And I'm hearing that from you as well. And maybe this is a great perspective. I think too many people think it's about them. I, I tell people, you cannot embarrass me. There's nothing I, I've, I've, or it's already been there, done that. And I have some crazy stories, uh, of making myself really, really uncomfortable from walking onto a, a Broadway stage and tripping and falling on my face and making it into a fun moment or the time that I was coming home from vacation with my parents. Oh, this is weird. I can't believe 10. I'm going to say this on television. Oh gosh. And I, <laughs> well, we were, we were in Mexico. I had this dress that buttoned down the back and I didn't have any clean underwear to fly home with. So I didn't wear any that day. And as I'm talking in the airport, I guess my dress unbuttoned and there's my little cheeks probably hanging out because my dad raises across. He's like, whoa, my God, my daughter's ass. I'm like, okay. <laughs> if I can do that with my dad. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm done. You can't embarrass me. I've been there, done there. What's the worst, right? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I can't no, do it's, that. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just, we spend so much time worried about what other people think and they just don't care. And I think in in the good sense and the negative sense where 
like when we do well, we think people care a lot. And when we do bad, we think people care a lot. And they're just really never thinking about you in the first place. And well, your parents still alive. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And what do they think about what you're doing? Good things. I think they're proud of me. Um, I think they're proud of me. Like, you know, I don't think they thought I could do it in the beginning. I think like a lot of my, cause I'm the first like generation entrepreneur. So I think they're like, what the hell? But I just knew like, this was the only way to get to the life I wanted. So I just went all in. I'm excited. Again, when I said meet you in 20 years, I think, you know, if you're lucky enough to experience children in your life, all of a sudden, all the questions that you had about you become moot. I will say at some point, I didn't have my baby till I was 42. almost missed it. I was so busy working and having a great life. But that every time you kind of like get bored with everything you're doing with all the success or all the failures, that was one thing that shifted everything for me and never looked back from that one. So if that is a, a little teeny bit of mama advice, it's the coolest thing I ever did. I would wait until it's the right time, but man, because it's the ultimate distraction. But yeah, exciting. So now you've got a son. It's 10 years from now or 20 years from now. How is he going to think about his father? What is he going to say about his dad? You think? Mm, I just, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is, um, I think the biggest thing is I just hope that they look at me and they feel that I did my best. I, I know something that I respect about my dad is we we don't see the eye the eye on a lot of things. But when I was younger, I didn't understand how hard my dad worked. And then when I got older, I realized, oh, so most people are, are like lazier or don't work as hard as my dad. And so I think something that I've always respected in people is work ethic and determination like effort because that's the one thing you can control and that's like the that's like the worldwide currency like everyone respects effort so i hope the biggest thing is like yeah i hope i have a good relationship with my son but i hope he can just see like the amount of work i put into stuff because that was actually the driving force for my dad that really changed my life well i know that because i'm talking to you and you're extraordinary we have about a minute and a half left what's one overall thought you want my audience to take away from you yeah. I mean, people always ask me, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, what would you have done different or what would you tell your younger self? And honestly, the the only regret I have in my life so far is just not asking for help sooner and being afraid because at 22 and adults would tell me, you know, hey, Tanner, you got time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm young. I got time. And then at 25, all of a sudden, I'm like, I feel like I'm running out of time. And so just don't be afraid, don't be afraid to pay for that, for that coach or for help or to get, um, take that course or whatever, because the worst thing that can happen is pretty much nothing. Like when you're broke or you have nothing going for you, you can always go back to broke or nothing going for you. So, um, I just hope like people can be fearless because you have so much to gain and like so little to lose. And so many people kind of stay in the same spot their whole lives. And it's sad to me. I mean, I, it's, it makes me sad. So. And you are wise beyond your years. I've loved this conversation. I've got about three more seconds before I have to leave. So everybody you've been listening. Uh, Tanner is elite CEO. Uh, if you want more information, it's all in the notes for this show. We're heard all around the world from iTunes to Amazon music and Sketcher, Titchard, Pandora, you name it. We're there. You're listening to the Forbes factor, health, wealth, and happiness. And today we accomplished all three. I'm Forbes Riley. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.